evening. You're watching Stockwatch with me, Zanati Kuma. This evening, Zuela Kemguni from Benguela Global Fund Managers and Mark Detoy from Oyster Catcher Investments. Join me to unpack your stock-related questions. Please send those questions via SMS to 41392, email at stockwatch at bdtv.co.za or tweet us at business day using the hashtag stockwatch. Thanks so much for your time, gents. Let's actually start off with what's really souring sentiment today, and that is the China data that keeps disappointing uh, investors. And even with the measures that are being implemented, for example, even the People's Bank of China coming out with those key interest rate cuts again, markets not satisfied. Um, Zolake, I just want to start with you. Is it looking at this point like the China, the, the, the Chinese government is just blue ticking investors and what the economy needs at this point? Yeah, look, I, I think they, they probably done their best. Uh, I think uh, it, it's a big machine to move uh, China. And I don't think uh, one realizes how big the the role uh, uh, infrastructure played in the economy so without uh, big infrastructure projects uh, kicking in i think there is a struggle in the economy and hence they are uh, resorting to time to stimulate uh, consumption by making it easier for banks to lend and then hopefully they can get consumption because consumption data came through it was pedestrian i mean relative to to chinese uh, economy I, mean, I think it was around 3.7 so mm -hmm. that wasn't good i think the industrial production was also uh, not great so it is clear that the chinese economy is slowing down uh, and there isn't any plan that's been put forward by the government yet yeah well i mean just uh, bad news just keeps on coming out or i mean except for the us um even though but what was quite surprising for me is the fact that even with the us retail sales for July, actually surprising to the upside, unlike what we saw in China, those markets were still in the red. And I mean, just in terms of retail in the U.S., everything was dandy, even Home Depot coming out with uh, results that surprised on the upside on both the top and the bottom line. Is it just now just a, an overall across the board confidence um, sour sentiment that's coming through, Mark? Yeah, I think, I mean, we need to also remember that the markets have had a fairly uh, good start uh, to the year. Well, I mean, we're halfway through the year and markets were up, have been up. Um, I mean, our market was up 10% for the first seven months. So I think that a bit of pullback is is healthy. Um, you know, I think that the the strength of the US economy has surprised people for for good reason. Um, and that's what's carried um, a lot of the earnings upgrades in the U.S. Um, but the, the the downside to that is that interest rates will have to be higher for longer in order to tame inflation. And the market's kind of grappling with that better than expected GDP growth, but then offset by higher interest rates for longer. Um, and then added to that weaker Chinese macro data. So it's just, you know, a bit of the market trying to price uh, for the different um, data that's coming through at this point. Ah, all right. So, well, let's get into the viewer questions. Um, uh, quite an interesting one, Zulaka. You were talking about uh, a construction that hasn't really been uh, great uh, in China. Um, WBHO has recovered nicely. Does it excite the panel? Zulaka. Yeah, look. 
Uh, I think WBHO has always been a good uh, business that uh, that was well run uh, within the construction sector because they were always conservative in terms of the type of projects that they take on. They never took very exotic uh, projects, which always ensured that their risk was limited. But I think their exposure to uh, UK and, and Australia, they did have a bit of a struggle, but it looks like they've turned that around. So I would be inclined, I mean, if I had to choose a stock within the construction sector, I'd probably look at uh, WBHO. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, Mark, I mean, I know that the sentiment on the construction sector has really been um, quite subdued uh, or cautious, um, of course, because uh, there are quite a number of headwinds that all the construction players have faced over the last couple of years. But would WBHO be one of the ones that seem to have fared better in that in that uh, complex? Yes, I mean, I agree that the, the management team of of uh, WBHO is one of the, the best in the industry. Um, they don't take on loss-making projects. They are very make sure that they um, bid at a, a reasonable margin uh, for new business. Um, but I mean, I think it is difficult to see um, a lot of excitement for the for the actual industry as a whole. Um, I mean, we are dealing with a high interest rate environment. Um, the South African fiscus is constrained. So it's difficult to see a lot of um, new construction coming online. But I think that Sanrail's projects will start to roll out a bit more going forward. And I mean, I think I think the prospects are fair for, for the industry. Ah, all right. Well, I mean, just uh, as uh, unemployment figures came out today, we did see uh, on the employment front, uh, construction, uh, the construction sector actually being uh, one of the ones that saw the largest gains. There is a question here. On uh, the unemployment, of course, we have seen that marginal improvement from 32.9% to 32.6%. Not sure how uh, needle-moving it is. Um, so this question goes, I see that some analysts are questioning the latest unemployment stats as not making sense. This is really sad, if true, and will just be another self-inflicted blow to our economy. Uh, rather, just uh, tell things as they are. Can your guest please tell us what's the true unemployment picture there always seems to be quite a, a lot of confusion when it comes to these unemployment figures because there is the main figure and then there is the uh, figure for or under the expanded uh, definition uh, Zorake, what are you making of those unemployment figures right now i don't believe them <laughs> uh, i think uh, i mean they, they, they probably i don't know where they're saving but uh, the, the truth is People are unemployed. I mean, there, there is a lot of hardship in the country. And to even suggest that we are creating employment uh, that can bring this number to a two-year low uh, at a time when we are seeing uh, growth fixed capital formation in the country falling, uh, consumer spending is weak, and, and uh, business confidence is weak. So... I'm not sure who's creating this employment, but uh, uh, let's hope that it continues until we can believe it. But I'm not believing it at all. I mean, listen, I, I've been saying that, uh, you know, um, on the ground, every single day we're hearing of job losses. Um, and of course, obviously, that's not something that um, is coming out of the unemployment figures. I mean, they are still quite high, but then you wonder how uh, relevant uh, this marginal improvement is. Mark, on your side, what do you have to say? 
Yeah, I mean, um, I, I, unemployment number is is horribly high. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's one of the one of the main focuses uh, of our government is to try and to to bring that number lower. I mean, it is horrible. I, I do think that the that the numbers could be could be credible. I mean, they do they haven't changed the definition or anything like that. Mm. Um, and I think the the one thing that we need to also remember is that a lot of businesses did close during COVID. And now that we're in the post-COVID environment, I mean, they will start to, uh, at the margin, start to come back. Um, so I think, uh, I mean, uh, it is a positive data point for us. Um, I mean, we can't really get too excited about it, but um, more positive than negative. <laughs> yeah, uh, all right. Um, uh, there are two questions on Merafe. It came out with its uh, interim results today, the, the ferrochrome producer. Uh, the first one goes, what does the panel think of Merafe's share price currently considering its cash flow position and net asset value? So, of course, coming out with growth in its financial metrics today, uh, we did see that share price surging more than 9%. Zolake, looking at that share price, um, yeah, what do you think of it? And considering also its uh, cash flow and uh, net asset value. Look, I, I think the market probably was a big relief rally. Uh, uh, the, they had bent quite a bit of cash uh, in the previous half. And it looks like what they did is they held back on production and used their stockpiles to basically support sales. So we saw quite a big turnaround in the uh, operating cash flows. And their cash balance is uh, quite strong. I think it was close to 1.7 or 1.8 billion. I don't remember the exact number. Mm. But I, th- I think it was more the market being relieved that things haven't gone worse, uh, given that uh, the, there was difficulty in terms of production. They basically took stockpiles and, and sold it and, and made up for, for lost production because production itself was down. Hmm. I mean, uh, uh, the second question goes, a dividend more than 20% and PE of about two, electricity situation improving and a weak rand. What does the market know that we don't? Uh, Zolake speaks of a relief rally. Mark, would you say the same or do you have more insights? Yeah, I mean, Marafi's always traded on a, on a low multiple. It is a, a single commodity type business. So... You know, there's not a lot of diversification if something goes wrong in in, in your in your ferrochrome business. Um, I think the market liked the, the the healthy dividend declaration. I mean, that shows that during good times, management are willing to return some cash to shareholders, which is you know a, a good a sign of a well-run company. Um, I, I don't follow the, the ferrochrome prices that closely, but my my gut feeling is that with commodity prices having come off in June and July. I uh, don't think that they will be spared from lower commodity prices. And so cash flows going forward might be more constrained. Um, so, I, I mean, I don't think it's the dripping rose that, that it appears um, from the from the current PE and, and NAV multiples. Yeah. And actually, Zolaka, I mean, what did you make of that outlook, uh, seeming that the market shrugged it off, even though it was quite um, cautious and, and speaking of softness in the market? Yeah, look, I mean, I think the number one thing that the market's looking at is probably that, uh, as as Marcus said, uh, uh, the first thing is that that dividend yield is uh, probably 15% uh, at least. And then you're also looking at the fact that uh, the market cap of around uh, $3 billion, you've got half of that market cap in cash. So uh, there isn't a lot of... Uh, 
downside risk in the, in the sense that even if commodity prices fail, mm. they would still be able to to survive that that downturn and the rail dysfunction, as they called it. Mm. But yeah, I'll, I'll probably say that market is probably a bit believed that uh, things are not getting worse. You're not tying ah. cash down into inventories. Ah, all right. Uh, gents, I have quite an interesting um, uh, comment here on Cecil. Uh, from a keen watcher of Stockwatch. Um, and they're saying that Cecil has become an uninvestable share. Uh, the most recent sense about impairment is only the start. And then obviously they put in quite a number of points on why they think that uh, this is a, an uninvestable share, history of, including history of bad allocation of uh, capital, Export logistics being impacted with no improvement in sight. Um, yeah, and then uh, and then uh, interesting comment here as well. I had a good laugh when I saw a stock pick of Cecil this week, which there have been a lot. Um, very unfortunate, but this is the new reality. Um, and no, I don't have a short on the share and don't own it. Um, <laughs> Mark, I mean, there's been quite a lot of um, interest and buying into Cecil. Um, but the viewer says it's uninvestable. What do you have to say? Yeah, I mean, uh, Cecil is a difficult one to call. So they, um, I mean, it essentially has a really big um, chemical business in the U.S. now. And then in South Africa, it's got a great uh, uh, refining and, and coal to, to liquefied fuel uh, business in Secunda. Um, and the South African business is making a lot of money because the rand is weak and the oil prices are high. And then the U.S. chemicals business is making almost no money because chemical prices are low and feedstock prices are quite high. So, so what was strange for me is that when they came out with their trading updates, the numbers were more or less in line, but when they wrote down their Secunda plant, I mean, that is a bit of a warning flag because it's saying that their future cash flows are are going to be impaired because of things like they need cheap gas to run the plant. They're not sure if they're going to be able to get gas out of Mozambique for, for how long. Um, they also mentioned high interest rates impacting the, the calculation of carrying values. And, I mean, we are going to have to hear from management when they um, release the results exactly why they had to take such a large, it was a 35 billion rand write-down on their, on their plant in Secunda. Um, but I think if you if you think that chemical prices are going to recover and you know maybe perhaps we are at the bottom of the cycle in chemical prices, then that US business of theirs will start making good dollar cash flows and you can pay down the dollar debt. I mean then Sassel's got quite a quite a nice story to tell. Um and currently they're making they are making a lot of money from their South African business. So so yeah, it's difficult. I mean it looks cheap, but we are going to have to understand why they took such a big impairment on, on the Secunda plant. Yeah. I mean, uh, a lot of the, uh, you know, commentary when it comes to investing is, in Sasol is the, the prices, particularly with oil. And from what I can see from the comments from the viewer, I mean, that looks beyond the oil price. So as an investor, um, Zuelake, do you literally just trade on what's happening on, on the oil and on the energy prices front? And how deep do you have to look beyond those prices? Yeah, I, I think we could almost break ourselves into two elements. I think historically, it used to be to have a big bias towards the oil price. So uh, 
the oil price in rents uh, always translated to more or less uh, a very good fit on the share price. But I think what, what has since happened is the expansion into chemicals. I mean, years ago, they did a Condair transaction, which was an absolute disaster in, in Germany. And then they went into uh, the U.S. The big difference there was that, that that U.S. business is so big that it basically diluted the contribution of the fuels business uh, as a first step. And within that, what happened was they had a good deal where the input cost, the, the, the gas, uh, 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 the Ethan the price, was very low. And what we saw subsequent to the war in Ukraine, the price of gas has gone higher. The, the feedstock has gone higher. On the other side, the, the chemicals that they produce, there's been a lot of supply both in the U.S. and in, in some of the Asian markets. And we've seen that there was a lot of pressure on the pricing, on the chemicals uh, pricing. Although they have what they call specialty chemicals, they still got caught in that. And that component weighs heavy because it's now a more chemicals business than it used to be, a, a, a fuels business. On the other side of South Africa, you've got a situation where the, the environmental issues around Secunda, are also coming through and they, they presenting some challenges. So the impairment, I think, is understandable. If, if the business is not going to be able to cover the cost of capital uh, as a result of having to put up uh, more capex to make the, the, the secunda plant uh, more uh, uh, environmentally friendly, I, th- I think that's going to be a challenge for Sasol. So I wouldn't be getting excited about Sasol anytime soon, but certainly... They, they've got their work cut out for them. Hmm. All right. Uh, well, there's a question uh, on, uh, so the viewer says, for my financial services theme, I've been building up nice positions in Sunlam, Momentum, First Rand, and Discovery. I have two questions. So, Mark, I'll give you one, and Zulaki, I'll give you the other. Uh, since the news about Sunlam struggling failed, uh, Triple B, Double uh, E uh, trusts needing bailouts, that could lead to the sale of a large number of Sunlam shares next March, unless the share price rallies significantly before then. I'm now no longer confident of holding on to my Sunlam position. Please advise. Mark, any insight? Yeah. So, yes, that's true. The, um, the BE deal is underwater and it is going to need to be refinanced. Um, and... It is likely that existing shareholders are going to have to pay a bit to refinance the, you know, the BE structure. Um, I don't think it's a it's a complete train smasher. I wouldn't say that's a good reason to sell your Sunlam shares. I mean, you know, we've seen Absa do their deal that was three percent dilutive. Um, many companies have done done deals, and Yes, you do lose a little bit, but I wouldn't say that that's a great reason to sell Sunlam. Sunlam, if you if you believe in the business um, and you believe in their products, um, and then if the valuation stacks up, which I think it does in Sunlam's case, I think you can still hold hold the shares. Yeah, all right. Um, and the second one goes. And what's your take on discovery at a twenty times PE and a nil dividend policy to repay debt? So like it. <laughs> You ask me difficult questions tonight. <laughs> uh, <laughs> look, D- Discovery is probably a growth stock within uh, the uh, insurance sector. Uh, they've gone from where they've gone product diversification in South Africa. They've driven now a geographic expansion strategy into, for example, in Asia with a pinon strategy there. 
uh, where they're using vitality as a driver of uh, profit sharing uh, with some of the insurers. But I think where the the big question is, is that, I mean, they, they, they had super profits in their life insurance business for, for a number of years. And my concern is that in the long term, we could see those underwriting margins coming under pressure. And they, they, they seem to have quite a, an unstable uh, assumptions. They, they tend to change their assumptions uh, fairly frequent around their the, the, the numbers. And I'm not comfortable about the, the accounting element in the live business, but looking outside of that, I think it's probably not a bad stock from a growth point of view, but I think it's probably fully priced at current levels. Mm, all right. Uh, well, let's get into uh, packaging. Mondi, uh, the viewer says, my holding of the stock is up 5.25% and with a P of 6.6, is this a good time to buy more or just hold? Mark? Yeah, um, Mondi, I mean, it is also a, a well-run business and it has competitive advantages in that it has it's quite vertically integrated. It owns the forest right the way through to the to the packaging mills and machines. Um, and it's also diversified across products. So it's got packaging, it's got flexible bags. Um, so, and, and then its main market is Europe. I think that it's, the difficulty is that um, the packaging prices have come off quite a bit. I mean, we saw them rocket up during COVID. Um, and then there was also an impact from the, the war in Ukraine. And that's all starting to normalize. And added to that, there's a tougher macro environment with high interest rates in, in Europe. So packaging prices have come off quite a bit. And the real question is, is this the bottom of the cycle or is there still more, more pain to come? Um, and I think that we are close to the bottom. But, you know, in the short term, I think Monday share price could struggle a little bit. But longer term, it is a well-run business. And I think you will do well to hold it. Ah, to hold. Um, Zulake, I mean, this is considered a good business, one that is maybe not as cyclical as, for example, SAPI. Um, so would you be holding or buying more? Do you think that it's, it's cheap enough for you to buy more and, you know, the long-term prospects are good for that? I definitely agree with Mark. I mean, uh, on a long-term basis, it's certainly a stock that uh, we like and, and I think uh, it's well-run, as it says. I think the, the short-term outlook is very very challenging i think one looks at the the demand for the just consumption expenditure across the world i mean it's showing signs of a slowdown so they would be affected by quite quite a bit bit of that element but also energy prices uh, did rise they they got some reprieve they still elevated compared to a history so if we see normalization in the energy prices we might see them uh, looking uh, decent, but otherwise, in the long term, they should be able to get their pricing through. My only concern is that they they looking to expand uh, uh, production, and I'm not sure if it's the right time. But I mean, management of companies always do these things uh, at a time when they should be allowing the shortage to drive the price up. Mm, all right. Well, let's get to your stock picks for today, gentlemen. Mark, what are you picking today? So yes, I'm picking Investec today. So it's. Um nicely diversified across geographies. In the recent results, they they showed that their business is basically 50-50 South Africa, UK. Um, and I think that Fonny TT is, he, you know, he came in and he cleaned up the, 
it will kind of refocus the business on their on their existing um, banking, specialized banking. Um, he has reduced the cost income ratio in the UK, which was a key um, key deliverable. And I think what could actually get the market a little bit more excited about the bank is that they they do have some growth opportunities now. And I think that the management team will start to talk about that more um, going forward. And it stacks up on a valuation basis. So I think you get a 17% RR and a 6% dividend and you have some currency um, diversification in the business as well. Yeah, all right. Well, Zulake, let's quickly get to your stock pick for today. Yeah, I'll, I'll go with the teleperformance. So it's uh, the world's biggest uh, call center operator uh, operating many, many, many countries. Um, the business has grown I mean, to a point where it's reached quite a substantial critical mass. That enables them to price quite uh, competitively against their mo- smaller peers uh, around the world. And that has given them uh, substantial improvements in returns. So at a time when companies are looking to cut costs, I mean, uh, having a competitively priced call center is something that has, uh, uh, that, that is attractive. The stock has fallen uh, by almost two thirds. So, so, uh, I think it's probably overdone. It's, it's trading at probably uh, 11 times earnings. Uh, and yeah, I, th- I think it's probably a stock that has potential to benefit as people look for where to cut costs. Yeah, all right. Well, thank you so much, James, for your time and analysis today. That's all for Stockwatch this evening. Thanks to our guests, Zulake Mguni from Benguela Global Fund Managers and Mark Dutoy from Oyster Catcher Investments. Coming up next, the close. Stay watching. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.